Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. It's Keith Koo in London. I'm here for the Techstars Barclays Finals, where a company I had on a few weeks back, Crowds.io, was one of the graduates of the program. And since I'm in London, I'm actually here with David Packham, CEO of EOS42. David is one of the world's leading block producer candidates for EOS, which were just a couple of weeks from the mainnet launch. Welcome, David. Thanks very much for having me, Keith. So I'm pleased to announce that Dr. Vanila Singh, Chief Medical Officer of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, will be keynoting the 2018 TULIP Conference in San Francisco, June 7th and 8th. TULIP is the Next Generation Blockchain and Digital Currencies Conference. Dr. Singh was quoted as saying that she believes it's a unique opportunity to come together with some of the brightest movers and shakers in the blockchain world. If you would like to attend the conference, use promo code SVIN25 for a 25% off discount. So on May 25th, the EU enacted their most stringent data policy ever, which is GDPR. We've talked about it for months, General Data Protection Regulation of the European Union. And just as a reminder, the way that the law is written is that anyone in the world or any company in the world that does business with a European citizen is by default under the umbrella of this policy. Now, one thing to think about is that the way the fines work, if you violate this data protection rule, your company could be subject to 4% of your gross revenue or 20 million euros or $23 million, whichever is greater. So if you're doing business with the European Union or you have European Union citizens and you have an office in the EU, it would behoove you to really pay attention to what is entailed in this new regulation. Next week will be the Apple Worldwide Developers Conference 2018. It's predicted that Apple will make a few announcements about their products. So just a few of those are that iOS 12 will be much more reliable. Apple's always had a lot of criticism that iOS is very flaky. Also that they'll be making minor updates to the Mac OS. And uh, one thing that we all know is that Siri, their voice app is not considered to be as robust as Alexa or Google, so they plan on improving that as well. And they're going to be doing a lot more on their language recognition software. And also, I would like to congratulate the class of 2018 at the Techstars Barclays Accelerator in London that I was at last week. The top 10 companies for Barclays, they're very impressive, and I just wish them all the best of luck, including Crowds, who we had on a couple of months back, the EDI and ACH payment on blockchain company. And that's the Tech News of the Week. So, David, you've been a really busy man. Yeah, that's an understatement. Since we launched the, uh, the Block Producer candidacy in January, it's been a continual engagement with the community on defining uh, the, uh, the constitution as it's gradually been developed out, looking at the arbitration processes, the working on the test nets, and gradually getting ready for launch. So it's been non-stop, but it's been an incredible experience so far. We've 
we've met some really incredible people throughout the forming community and um, probably fair to say it's been one of the best six months of my life. <laughs> probably one of the busiest as well. Yeah. So with these launch preparations for the EOS mainnet, how would you describe this process to people who don't even know what EOS is? So the, the network is being launched by the community rather than Block One, who are the producers of the software, which means that it has to be launched by consensus, which is in itself a, a challenge. You have a group of disparate individuals from all around the world who have formed their own candidacies, and it is reliant on them to all reach agreement on how you're going to structure and launch a distributed network. So that in itself presents all sorts of challenges. The way that it's being structured, therefore, is that the community has its own set of regional media outlets. Uh, EOS Go is uh, the big one for for the Western-speaking world. There is Koreos for Korea mm-hmm. and Imios for China. Okay. All three of those are actually independent arbitrators in telegram groups that are oversighting to ensure there's no misbehaviour, shall we say, between all of the block producer candidates that are out there, which is current, currently over 140 now have declared. Most of, We had 40 declare last week and about 35 the week before, so the vast majority of these candidates have only formed in the last two to three weeks, uh, to give you some idea of that. But we are now talking about how the launch is going to take place in, in a lot more detail, and the consensus looks to date like they will be launching about five uh, BIOS chains, which are ones that are not validated as in by uh, token holders in the form of an election. And that's being done to protect against DDoS attacks. So by having five separate chains, it makes it that much harder for any one to be completely taken out. And once the community then um, reaches agreement that the five chains um, have actually uh, are valid and are, and are producing correctly. At this point, the block producers that are supporting the chain won't be receiving any income. Okay. They they wind down the other chains and call an ele- election, and the token holders vote. And once fifteen percent vote, that at that point the chain becomes officially active, and in theory becomes the mainnet. I see. And so the existence of the five changes is to ensure that in that launch process that everything's valid, everything's working properly. Absolutely, you know. There's there's a lot of concerns, I think, too, that there might be three, four, five, ten launch EOS chains. And the the block producers, it, that's not really in anybody's interest to have at least identical chains on identical terms. That causes a degree of complexity and, and confusion for token holders sure. and, and, and beyond that on the wider market as to what you'd be trading. So... There's a good degree of focus, I think, that we all need to work together to uh, ensure that we give uh, a good level of understanding about which is the main chain and, and represent that well. So that, will, that should should become apparent quite quickly. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting too because people, even people I talk to, still think that Bitcoin is what blockchain is. And then there's some other folks who might think about Ethereum, but this model is going to be completely different for a lot of people. That, that's right. You know, a DPoS system like this has never been rolled out in this way before. So delegated proof of stake is, is a proven network model that's worked very well for the two uh, instances. We've seen it in specific use cases before in the form of BitShares and Steemit for social media. So they, they, work, they, they produce, I think, over half of all of the 
transactions per volume on, of all the public blockchains, those two in instances right now, to give an idea of the scale and scalability of those. But with EOS, we have for the first time an entire decentralized operating system and as a platform for building out all manner of uh, applications on top of that. So this is the first time that I think the wider world's finally going to connect and experience and see DPoS uh, and the power of DPoS being applied for the first time. So, so what I wanted to ask about is with EOS versus Ethereum, the transaction efficiency is much higher. That, that's uh, completely right. Uh, the the, the counter-argument is that uh, DPoS is more centralized. So to, to look at that and address that, you have to look at how uh, centralized or otherwise proof-of-work and proof-of-stake actually are when you take into account pool, pooling. And once you take that into account and look at, for example, how many distinct, meaningful uh, pools you have in both uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum, you have uh, far more decentralization with EOS. You have 21 elected block producers. And typically with the, the model that we're looking at, uh, the, the estimate is about 60 to 70 backup nodes that will be continually there ready to take over in the event of misbehavior or network attacks. So... You, you've got the ability to instantly switch out between as many as 80 different sources as opposed to six or seven. Well, uh, well David, let me just pause you right there. Hmm. But it's going to be really interesting. Let's talk a little bit more about the potential misbehavior when we get right back. You're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, joined by David Packham, who is the CEO of EOS 42, right before the EOS mainnet launch. And when we come back, we'll be speaking more about EOS. For questions or comments on today's program, call one 888 828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. I'm your host, Keith Koo. I'm in London this week for the Barclays Accelerator Project for Techstars. And I'm joined again with David Packham, who is the CEO of EOS42. In our first segment, we were talking about how the EOS mainnet is just a couple weeks away and all the preparations involved and so, thanks again, David, for being here. My pleasure, Keith. So what exactly is EOS? EOS is considered to be a next-generation blockchain platform. So we heard about Generation 1 being Bitcoin, which is a pure cryptocurrency. We've talked about Ethereum being a platform where different types of use cases, people can build dApps or decentralized applications on top of Ethereum. And so... EOS is considered potentially to be a rival or a parallel or an alternative to Ethereum. Uh, EOS is considered to be able to fix the scalability issues that are inherent in a blockchain such as Bitcoin or Ethereum, which were proof of work, which we talked about a little bit earlier. And these are delegated proof of stake under EOS. But one thing I should also be mentioning about EOS is there's been a lot of criticism because the founders of the project, on one hand, made it completely decentralized, meaning that the community has to support it itself. And I'll get back to that in a moment. On the other hand, as far as quote-unquote ICOs go, they raised a lot of money. The street value or the market capitalization of EOS today is somewhere between five and six and a half billion dollars. And it hasn't even launched yet. If you're listening to today's show, we're talking about how the EOS mainnet launches on June 2nd. So here's where the really revolutionary part of EOS comes in and other blockchains. EOS was built 
as a decentralized community, and there's a lot of discussion about, well, how do you self-govern that? You have 21 block producers around the world as the main people that are analogous to Bitcoin mining. And then they have different communities of sub-block producers. And there's always this fear that they're going to collude. So in order to combat that, there are certain safety features built into the blockchain. So for EOS, there is a built-in governance system. There's a built-in constitution analogous to the U.S. Constitution. And there's a built-in arbitration system like court of law. And we'll be diving more into that throughout the rest of the show and at the conference itself because this is something that people are still trying to wrap their heads around. So David, in our last segment, we were talking about potential misbehaviors. Let's go into more of that. What are the potential misbehaviors involved, not just with the mainnet launch, but post-mainnet launch that people are, are concerned about? So a lot of the focus to date has really been around misbehaviors by the block producers themselves. There's There's been a lot of community voices that have looked at how block producers could misappropriate funds, could selectively process transactions or, or, or in various ways actually try to be an issue with regards to how they actually process things. But on the flip side, when you actually look at the control mechanisms within DPOS, it's very, very difficult for bad actors not to be spotted. And the virtuous cycle, the nature by which block producers are competing continually in this perpetual election for the votes of token holders to maintain their position and the privilege of being a witness, a delegated witness and block producer, is such that the, that actually is, I think, a quite a low concern and will be increasingly once EOS launches. Instead, where the interesting uh, concerns will probably start to move will be into the application layer itself which is really where the focus is going to move increasingly after launch. You're going to start to see applications launching. You're going to see people interacting and using those. And from that, you're going to start to see misbehavior. You're going to start to see misappropriations. You're going to see bad actors. You could see potential hacks or at least hacking attempts on code. You could see fraudulent activity. All, all, all the things that you would expect to see in the real world where you have human beings interacting, you, you will can expect in various forms to happen, which is why EOS brings to the table something that has also not been seen and doesn't exist with Ethereum, which is a very well-defined constitution, governance layer, and an arbitration mechanism. Okay. And with those facts, constitution, arbitration layer, how does that kind of self-regulate what would be happening in this environment? So examples would be the, the parity wallet hack in Ethereum, which was the accidental uh, activation of, of a piece of code which ended up freezing about $250 million worth of, of Ether. That, that is an example of something that couldn't happen on, on EOS for a range of reasons, but if we look at it purely from the debate they're now having about whether or not there's some way to undo this and unlock people's money... This, this would be something that could go to arbitration. The arbitration uh, processes are being defined at present by the likes of Thomas Cox and others on the team, but in terms of the actual way that this is actually going to be handled, therefore, you would be able to actually appeal, freeze the funds, uh, an arbitration panel would review, and it would publish its findings, and the block producers would enact the arbitration result of that. So in that scenario, for example, there will be a counter uh, 
there would be a, an ability to unfix and, and freeze the code, yeah. but it would also be the capability, for example, and the ability of a, to, of a hack to undo a transaction to fix it. Right. Okay. Yeah, and speaking of which, Thomas Cox is actually, as well as you, will be attending our Tulip Conference June 7th and 8th in San Francisco. And I know Thomas is going to be speaking a lot about the governance. Uh, absolutely. I mean, Thomas is, is a global uh, expert in, in blockchain governance. So in terms of this, he's been absolutely instrumental in defining the, the, the EOS constitution, the Ricardian contracts, which are essential for defining in more detail in human language what underlying uh, computer code actually means and how it can be interpreted, and thereafter in terms of the likes of the arbitration mechanism too. So, yeah, it's, I'm really excited to see him speak. It's going to be a phenomenal event, Yeah, and also I think um, half of the 21 potential lead block producers will be attending the conference as well, as well as you. Yeah, absolutely. We, from, from my understanding too, there's some some of the huge Chinese block producer candidates too, like EOS Gravity and EOS Canon are attending too, and many more that are starting to also uh, confirm. So I think it's going to be the, the first time we actually see an opportunity for a global EOS block producer summit, and and the opportunity to connect with those uh, those people and interact and, and network is just it, for us it's quite priceless because these are people that we've talked to continually over the last six months and built relationships with and there's really no substitution for that so it's going to be very exciting so tell me a little bit more about block production we touched on it in the first segment but tell me a little bit more about eos block production so eos block production differs quite substantially from the likes of proof of stake uh, ethereum mining which is really a a much more basic role it's a network uh, uh, role primarily rather than anything else. Here you have a blend of community engagement, education, uh, economics, and all sorts of potential for other uh, projects that add value back to the network. Part of this virtuous cycle and um, being reliant on votes is, is a continual potential for innovation amongst block producers to come up with different economic models to add value for token holders, to incentivize them to, to earn those, those votes. Uh, one of the big ones is developing out distributed applications. So uh, one of our big value-add projects in February was the launch of the Shintai project, which is a token leasing platform that's in, in flight right now and being developed to enable token holders to lease out their tokens, their bandwidth and CPU capabilities, and receive an income for that from the, the DAP owners. So that, that's not only going to be feeless because it's going to be funded by multiple block producers, but the ongoing development will be also funded by them as, as part of their give back to the community. Okay. So that's one example. Others, and, and I'm going to hold yeah. you right there. Sure. We'll do more examples when we get right back. So you're listening to Keith Koo, Silicon Valley Insider, with David Packham, CEO of EOS42. And we're talking about EOS, we're talking about the Tulip Conference and the mainnet launch on June 2nd. For information, email us at info at svin.biz. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. I'm your host, Keith Koo. I've been joined today by David Packham, who's the CEO of EOS42. So if you follow tech news like I do, you might have heard something cryptic where on the news this week it said the FBI recommends that you reboot your router at home. Now, ordinarily as a tech worker, 
I would be very skeptical about that. I'm typically the guy that when I'm on the phone with tech support, I'm not going to be the one to reboot my computer. I'm just going to say that I did. However, in this case, and we've done some validation, this is a legitimate request by the FBI to actually ask everybody to reboot their routers. And the reason why is that there's a new potential malware, uh, which is called VPN filter. And VPN filter is a malware attack that was disclosed on May 23rd by Cisco's Talos Cybersecurity Division. And they warned that at least 500,000 networking devices globally have been infected. And these devices that are infected include all the ones you think about, Linksys, Microtik, Netgear, TP-Link, QNAP. So pretty much everyone's home Wi-Fi's. So you might ask, why would shutting down my router be such a good idea? Well, we've mentioned it in previous shows, sometimes malware infections don't affect the software in your computer. It affects the memory in your server or your computer. So that's actually the chip or the brain in some cases, or CPU. And we've had different companies on before, companies such as Neotron, which handles security in one way, and we've talked about other companies that handle memory protection. Well, you probably don't have those running already at your house. So by just shutting off your router, you actually will clear the memory that's being run. So if any virus like this one lies dormant in your memory chip, it'll actually be flushed. So if you've got a few moments and you don't need your Wi-Fi connection, just reboot it. It's a lot easier than actually rebooting your computer. And that's the tip of the week. Uh, David, in the last segment, we're just getting into some BP economic models. And David, you were talking about Shintai. That's right, Keith. Shintai, by providing uh, token leasing for the main chain, it, it gives everybody the ability to actually make money off their tokens by just holding them. How does token leasing work? How is that even a concept? So, unlike most other chains, within EOS, the, the tokens buy you a, a minimum bandwidth and CPU computational power on the network. That's really the, the purest intention besides for voting. It's to enable businesses, therefore, they have to hold and buy, either buy or lease tokens from, from token holders for their dApps. So the more successful your dApp becomes, the more used it gets, and therefore the more tokens you need to either hold or lease. That, that's the entire nature of the usability and the use case for the token. It's therefore very apparent what it's for. It's a clever model because it also ensures that you have buy-in in invested in the network for you uh, as somebody who's also going to use it. So you're not going to build an expensive tool spamming the network <laughs> with, your, with your own tokens because you're also going to stand to therefore lose value for them as well. It would be completely counter to it. But that in, 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 in its heart is therefore why Shintai is needed. And by providing it with, uh, without fees as well, it, it should enhance the economics of EOS as well because you're not going to have any problem with small token holders also being able to lease their tokens out. You've not got uh, all of the, the, the leasing, fee, leasing uh, money being taken and up with fees. It's just going to be completely mm-hmm. free at the end point of use as well. So. so this is another concept that I think people just now getting into blockchain technology don't understand. How can it be feelers? and still make money. This all comes down to the economics of EOS again, which is something that Dan Larimer discovered with BitShares, which was that he rolled out delegated proof of stake uh, and then realized they they had run out of money. 
and that was because they didn't have uh, they, they didn't have inflation so inflation within the DPoS environment is, is not the inflation we know from fiat world it, it is not money being printed by the government and, and effectively devaluing the money that you and I have in our pockets on a daily basis as we watch, watch it happening in the DPoS world, it's being used in a very, very coordinated, careful way to add value to the network. So it's uh, the income stream that comes in to fund all of the block producers, yeah. and it enables them to run the entire network. And that, in turn, ensures that you do not have to have any transaction costs, which means that you can run high-volume, high low-value applications on there as well. Examples would be websites, hence the fact that Steemit runs on DPoS so successfully as well. You, you can't have a model, for example, where you're running a social media platform and every single time you load up your a profile or, or, or load up a web page, it's costing you money, which is what would happen on Ethereum. So this is the alternative, and it's, uh, it's, it's an exciting one to see how this is going to start panning out post-launch because with EOS and with its potential as a, as a distributed operating system like this, the only limitation is going to be the creativity and innovation of the people building on the platform. Thank you. So, so I know we're going to talk about some other BP models. Uh, one thing, just in case people are just tuning in, Dan Larimer is kind of the brains, so to speak, behind EOS and had done some other projects like Steemit. And also DPoS stands for Delicated Proof of Stake, which is just a different model for even those people who are aware of where Bitcoin or Ethereum came from. So thanks for going through those descriptions. So switching back to these other types of economic models, what else is on the horizon? So all of the block producers are coming up with their own unique uh, economic models that they're proposing to the community. So at the extreme side, you have somebody who is proposing that they will simply produce blocks. They will give nothing back to the community by way of anything, no applications, nothing else. They'll pay themselves uh, out of that, and everything else that they deem to be excess, they're going to burn the tokens by sending them to an invalid address <laughs> okay. publicly. So that's, that's one extreme. Now, that's something we profoundly disagree with. Uh, we, we feel that actually the, the additional funds that we receive can be used in a, in a variety of ways to do a lot of good and add a lot of value to the community and that it is our responsibility to, to, to therefore do that. So we will be continually building out other applications besides Shintai after launch. The other thing that we're going to do as well is set up an incubator fund. So that's another model that you're seeing uh, a number of other block producers also looking at doing, which is incubator funds. Besides that, though, others are, are proposing some quite radical models as well. EOS DAC, for example, has tokenized its entire holding and ownership. In the, it's effectively securitized itself in, the, in a token form, issued itself out onto the markets, and airdropped its tokens to all of the EOS holders. So everybody owns a piece of EOS DAC. And they are going to be run as a, as a public DAC where they have worker proposals that, that, that fund them as well. So, so right there you can see a whole raft of different uh, models from effective software houses to a form of almost quasi-venture capital funds to a purist form that, that is almost just, um, just a pure block producer um, in, in the sense that it's almost more akin to a proof-of-stake type, type block producer. It's going to be interesting seeing what works, and I would probably go so far as to say it's not so much right or wrong, it's about what the community assess to be right or wrong for them, and we also will see over time which models work as well. And that goes back to the question, because EOS is becoming this very flexible platform to do many different things that haven't been seen before. 
the community is a core part of this. How did the community communicate with each other and actually make decisions? Well, I think that's that's a, a fascinating question, Keith, because really if you look at a distributed community like this, it's all about trying to work out how people reach consensus. And decision-making that can be very, very simple between us if we were to group together and form a team, it becomes immensely more complicated when you have a, a wider group. Absolutely. So the example of, of how this can be, be done is the Worker Proposal Fund, which is another element of the annual inflation, will be going to something called the Worker Proposal Fund and entire projects for the community. They could be infrastructure projects, they could be uh, funding of, for example, the, the likes of a, uh, a media outlet that supports um, the, 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 uh, the EOS ecosystem. Those kind of things can be put, put, put forwards by token holders and then they can vote, vote on them. So that is certainly one of the uh, examples of this. But in short, it's a very challenging process getting that consensus and it, it tends to make things a little bit more complicated and it, it requires compromises on all sides. Yeah, and I, I think that's the exciting part as well as people might have some concerns, but this is really um, a new concept to a lot of folks. And even those who've been in the blockchain space like you, working on this community model, I think for me, just watching it happen is going to be fascinating. So one thing I wanted to kind of turn direction on is there's been a lot of negativity around EOS. There's some people who think it's going to be just failure to launch. Absolutely. I mean, this all comes down to the terms and conditions of the, the, the ICO itself. So if you look at it, it quite clearly states that the token is not a security, it has no purpose whatsoever, and that there may or may not be a blockchain launch, nothing's guaranteed. And, and the wording of, of something like that would send most people running for the hills in terms of uh, try, trying to work out whether or not something sounds like a potential scam, in, in, certainly in a marketplace which is absolutely teeming with you know, somewhat dubious offerings. So that, that, th- those early concerns perhaps were, were valid when they were, were looking through and trying to assess what exactly this is. But the, the way that the community is gradually built up, there are so many people with so much economically invested in EOS that being open source software when it is released, version 1 of EOS IO on, on the 2nd of June, uh, the snapshot will be taken of the, the token holders' addresses from Ethereum. And, and the EOS constitution will be hard encoded and, and into the offering as well for version one, that when we actually collectively as a group of block producers take that and actually launch the chain off that uh, and honor the, the token distribution and, and, uh, and the EOS token in effect exists in its native form for the first time, I, th- there is a, such a high degree of certainty that's going to happen because there are so many people economically invested in this. It would be in no one's interest for it not. They would just simply otherwise be, be losers in, in, in this as well. And you only have to look at the open telegram groups. There's uh, people working 24 by 7 on the test nets to actually uh, ensure that we have a successful launch and that when you actually, therefore, can look at this, certainly from my perspective on the inside, I have absolute certainty that we're going to be seeing a successful launch. Okay. Well, thank you. I'm going to hold you right there. So again, I'm joined today with David Packham, CEO of EOS42. This is Keith Koo on Silicon Valley Insider from London. For anything we've talked about today, for information about that, email us at info at svn.biz. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. 
I've been in London all week for the Barclays Techstars Accelerator Program. I had mentioned earlier that Crowds.io, a company that I'm working with, was one of the finalists. And that let me meet David Packham, of the CEO of EOS42, who is consumed with the EOS mainnet launch. In our first segments, we talked about block production. We talked about the mainnet launch, launch preparations, different types of economic models. But now we're getting to some really meaty stuff. We're about to talk about all the exciting projects possible with this new platform. So, David, thanks again for joining us. Thanks a lot, Keith. And consumed is the right word for it. All consuming it's been for the last six months, absolutely. Yeah. So just one random question I had is, what are people doing with wallets on EOS? There's been a lot of concern about that, actually, because everyone had just been assuming that Block 1 would be building an EOS wallet, and then there's been no sign of one, and the community has, has, in the last few weeks, really got together and actually started building some. So I'm aware of at least three other ones that are in development, but um, NS James, Nathan James, is one of the preeminent EOS developers in the ecosystem right now. He's put together a very cool... Uh, application called Scatter, which is the equivalent of MetaMask, but a lot more sophisticated. And he's also built a wallet that's completely up and running and functioning, and will handle any number of chains and theories. So oh, wow. we, we have at least one guaranteed wallet now ready to go. Okay. So another back to the random question: Why were people expecting EOS to build a wallet, and why didn't they? I think it, it all goes back back to assumptions really so a lot of people were assuming that block one would also build the token leasing facilities because it's part of the economics of eos but on the flip side you can look at it and say actually yeah, really the community's meant to be taking control here and leading yes. and it's meant to be leading and it's been encouraged and told it was always going to be leading and launching a blockchain and i think it's just become more apparent to people as they've started to to challenge those assumptions that they really need to get things done. So, in, in that vein of thought, where you're talking about the community leading, what I'm getting excited about is some of the projects that are up and coming. Totally, yeah. Um, it's really becoming more and more apparent now as we uh, get nearer and nearer the launch, just the sheer number of projects that are either transitioning off other blockchains that, that were in their early stages and are being set up from, from inception as well. Uh, when I held the EOS London meetup on May the 1st, we had Bitfinex, uh, the, the CFO and the CTO spoke there and they're launching Ethfinex, which is, it's Ethfinex, sorry, EOSfinex is the Ethfinex equivalent and it's going to be a decentralized exchange completely based off EOS. We had also Warbly, which is a decentralized bank that is also going to be launching on a private instance of EOS as well and then interacting with the main chain as well. Other than that, we had a, also another really interesting project called Credify, yeah, which yeah. is handling credit and reputation protocols on, on there. But as, even aside from that, you've got a lot of fun stuff. There's, I, I, I'm aware of multiple games that are, are being built on the platform as well. Um, and then there's, there's all sorts of interesting projects one, one that's caught my eye, for example, is, is Tesloop, which is uh, a, a version of Uber, which only allows you to uh, hire out Teslas. Really? Why yeah. only Teslas? Hey, because Teslas are electric and cool. I, I don't know, actually. That's a good question. But that's, that's certainly what they're proposing. And um, really, though, it shows the sheer variety and scale of what can be done on EOS, and it's going to be the most exciting part about what we see in the next year ahead. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting year, a really crazy year. Um, after that year, though, what then happens? It's, it's not even after that year. It's, I think it's after the next six months because 
what Daniel Laram is the, the CTO of Block One has already been talking about is into blockchain communication coming. And when into blockchain communication arrives, that will enable EOS to fully interact with all the other blockchains that exist right now, including Bitcoin and Ethereum. So it means that uh, any businesses that are running, and, and perhaps, for example, that offer insurance projects on, on Ethereum, you'd be able to utilize them as an EOS token holder and actually interact with the chain. Another example is you'll be able to move tokens off existing platforms. So he cheekily even tweeted out and said that actually you could move all your Bitcoins off the Bitcoin platform and just move them and trade them around on EOS instead. <laughs> That's a very wild thought. I mean, yeah, yeah. People, people are so locked into what they understand of Bitcoin today, even for the few people who know what Bitcoin is. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, no, I know. And it's it's that sort of thing is a great one for challenging preconceptions that we currently have about how inter-blockchain communication will impact all of this. You know, I, we're, we clearly are entering a world where there's going to be multiple chains for scaling anyway, but we probably are going to get away from this this concern over any one type of chain and instead start to see the entire blockchain ecosystem starting to form with an economy that, that interacts. And I, I, it's really going to be fascinating seeing how it develops out. I think it's going to be fascinating with the launch of EOS mainnet and as it takes off, how it affects the development of all the other chains and all the other ecosystems that exist today. It, it's certainly prompting the likes of Ethereum to really address some of their scaling issues. Uh, I think there's nothing like some really, really detailed, deep com- competition to start to actually bring out uh, some focus. You know, they, they probably had gone a, a year or so really not, not seeing themselves as needing and having any competition, and it's become very apparent to them, I think, with EOS now launching in under two weeks' time, that they, they have some major competition, and, and that's a good thing because it's forcing uh, Ethereum to, to deal with its scaling issues. Well, David, thank you for joining us today. David Packham, CEO of EOS42. He will be attending the Tulip Conference in San Francisco June 7th and 8th, Hackathon over the weekend, and the EOS Developer Conference uh, June 11th and 13th. For more information, email us at info at svn.biz or go to tulipconf.com. And if any of this sounds really interesting, we do encourage you to attend the Tulip Conference because we are going to talk to Thomas Cox, who's running the governance of EOS and uh, many other speakers like Michael Huth from the Imperial College of London. It's not necessarily an EOS conference, but it is closely aligned to the mainnet launch. So once again, David, thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Keith. All right, talk to you soon. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN.